Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast, sarcoidosis patient Carrie Wong talks about the frustrations of getting doctors to believe that she was really sick, and she'll talk about how long it took to figure out it was sarcoidosis. And basically I was told, you look fine, you must be just depressed, that's all. Um, and I spent about four years going to different doctors and being told nothing, but I looked fine, it must be in my head. Um, they didn't want to hear uh, anything else. The all too familiar story of Sark patients trying to figure out why they feel so bad. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Welcome to the Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. I call myself the Sark Fighter because I am a Sark patient as well. But if you're listening to this, then you are also a Sark Fighter because we're all in this together. This is episode 10. And today we'll be talking with Carrie Wong about her battle with sarcoidosis. It took years and years for her to figure out what was going on. And honestly, she's going to talk about how hard it was to get doctors to believe that it was not all in her head. And it wasn't until some of the actual physical symptoms that they could look at and see started to show up that she was able to move in the right direction of diagnosis. And she's got an amazing story to tell, and, and we'll be hearing that coming up here in just a little bit. Um, first of all, I've got to say, I can't believe we're already on episode 10. Seems like we just started with the Sark Fighter podcast. I started it because I feel like this is a place where everybody with sarcoidosis or uh, people trying to cure sarcoidosis, raise money to fight the disease, somebody with a, with a tie to the disease. It's a place that we can all kind of gather and listen and understand what's going on in the broader sarcoidosis community and do it via a podcast. There's a lot of a lot of great forums out there and other places, but uh, but I wanted this to be the podcast where all of this would happen, and I've been so pleased to be able to work with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Uh, they've been a, a great resource, uh, and I hope that this podcast is, is a great resource for them, certainly based upon the feedback I've received so far, it has been. Uh, I have sarcoidosis, as I mentioned. It's on my spinal cord. Um, I'm a local television news anchor in Roanoke, Virginia. And last year when I was on super heavy doses of prednisone and receiving some chemo treatments, I was still on the air and I just looked and felt awful and at some point had to... Uh, I, I, I talked to the news director and uh, my co-anchor, Lindsay Ward, one of the who's also a reporter, and we said, look, we just need to explain to the public what's going on, because I didn't look like myself anymore, and I've been on the air here for over 30 years, uh, and everybody was kind of scratching their heads saying, what's going on with Carlin? So we told the story, and then after I did that, I just started receiving all of these emails from all over the country and people contacting me in just about every way you can contact somebody online. And uh, they were saying, thank you for sharing your story uh, because I feel like nobody knows about this. Nobody knows about what I'm dealing with. And that kind of set me in the direction of, well, 
you know, I'm glad that people were were anxious to hear my story and thanking me for telling it. And, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of other stories out there that we can tell. And so today we'll be hearing from Carrie Wong. And one of the big parts of this podcast will be, in addition to talking to researchers and so forth, uh, it will be uh, listening to other people's stories so that we can get those stories out there and that there's a public record of it. And the medical community, maybe it won't take them so long to think, oh, maybe this patient is suffering from sarcoidosis. Maybe maybe it'll become one of the first things they think about instead of one of the last things. Uh, I don't know, but uh, but it's worth a try. So uh, that's that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it, and that's why uh, Carrie and others uh, who have already talked to me, and those of you listening now who may have a story to tell, will want to share your story in the future. That's why we're doing it. And but you know, one of the things that just amazes me. I have to pinch myself, kind of, is is that I've been able to uh, already uh, interview Dr. Robert Boffman. He's one of the top sarcoidosis names in the world. Uh, and he did some, some research on whether or not SARC patients are more prone or in greater danger from COVID-19. And the place that he first presented his data was right here on the Sark Fighter podcast. And if you want to listen to that, it's episode nine, uh, the one right before this. And I can tell you that that is by far, by a factor of maybe six times, the most popular episode that we've had. So if you're wondering if you're immune suppressed and if you're at a greater risk for, for some of the COVID-19 issues, um, that is, that's what I would want you to listen to. Uh, and Dr. Boffman came on and, and we did a Zoom interview and recorded it and, and I put it out there. And so, you know, here we are in a very fledgling stage of this podcast and already uh, names like Dr. Boffman uh, have been a part of it. And that is just uh, it's extremely gratifying to me to think that this is, uh, this is something that's getting a little bit of traction. Um, and also, uh, FSR, the foundation, asked me to host a symposium on SAF, which was recorded in Spain. I won't get into a whole bunch about SAF right now, but uh, they they recorded it. Uh, they had a major sponsor and buyer or bear, and uh, they wanted to put it out in podcast form. And they said, "Well, you know, we've got." the Sark Fighter podcast, let's put it out there. And that's getting a lot of people listening. Now, I will tell you uh, that that was listed as a, uh, a bonus episode because I didn't know it was coming. I did do the editing on it and put it together. and But it is it's extremely clinical. So if you're listening today and you want to hear Carrie's story or if you want to hear me talking about some of the different things that I've come up with, I'm out here as a layperson talking about it. Carrie's talking about her own personal situation, um, and she's she's going to use a couple of medical terms that refer to her. But but this uh, this bonus episode is very much, in my opinion, focused on doctors talking to other doctors and looking at some of the extremely technical diagnostic mechanisms that they have for diagnosing and tracking sarcoidosis. By all means, listen to it if you want to. If you find that it's over your head, don't be surprised. Uh, I, I had trouble with uh, with good portions of it, and I listened to it three or four times through the editing process. Like I kind of became familiar with it. Um, 
But that is, uh, that is not my typical podcast. On the other hand, I'm very hopeful that if FSR and the greater sarcoidosis community want to use this, this platform to uh, have a podcast home for doctors to talk to other doctors from these seminars and so forth, I'd be very anxious to do that. We'll just label those as bonus podcasts and we'll understand that uh, that may not be for the everyday podcast listener. Uh, if if you are a sarcoidosis patient and what, and what you're really seeking is uh, easily digestible information uh, or maybe just the comfort of hearing someone else's story. On the other hand, again, to have this podcast be less than six months old and already uh, we're on a radar like that uh, just is extremely gratifying and surprising to me. Uh, and I'm, I'm just tickled that, uh, that we've undertaken, that I've undertaken this project and that FSR uh, has decided to partner with me and, and that it's working out. All right, I've gone on too long about that. I apologize. Normally, I'll be releasing a new podcast every other Monday and uh, may have gotten off track a little bit. Uh, we had a very intense month in April, Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, where we did a podcast every week. And then I had these bonus podcasts and then the whole COVID-19 thing, 19 thing came in there uh, as a newscaster it's been extremely busy uh, and as I mentioned right now we've had the uh, as I speak to you right now uh, we're in like the primary week of all of the um, the racial protests uh, that have been spawned by the killing in Minneapolis of George Floyd. So uh, for me, it's been an extremely busy time at the television station. Um, so if I missed a Monday, I apologize. Uh, at any rate, these are all out there. Most of these stories are, uh, are evergreen. And uh, hopefully this is, um, you're not holding it against me that I may have missed a Monday. I kind of did lose track in there. Uh, the other thing I would just remind you is that I do have the Sark Fighter Facebook page and also uh, the Sark Fighter is the uh, place to find me on Instagram. And I'm posting there fairly regularly as well. I'd appreciate it if you would stop by, like the page, follow along on Instagram, and use that as a way to contact other Sark patients, contact me, you know, whatever it is. And if you've got a photo or a story you want to tell there, you know, post it and, and maybe I'll follow up with you. Um, COVID-19, as I'm recording today, COVID nationally is sort of leveling off. States are slowly reopening. Today, uh, Virginia, actually, yeah, today, Virginia enters what we're calling phase two, where the governor is relaxing things a little bit more. So uh, restaurants can now open with indoor seating up to 50% capacity. Some of the smaller shops and businesses are reopening with some restrictions. You still have to wear a mask. The staff still has to wear a mask. And there's a long list of other precautions. Uh, chances are that you're not listening to this in Virginia, so I won't get too specific. But that just kind of gives you uh, a feel for, for where we are with COVID-19. And, and I say that because if you have a COVID-19 story to tell that is somehow related to your sarcoidosis, I'd like to consider you for an interview. And my contact information is all in the show notes. But uh, if you have SARC and something happened to you, did you feel like you were more susceptible? Did you have a worse outcome? Uh, did a family member go through this somehow? But uh, I, I would like to, I'd like to hear about that and talk about it while it is still timely and relevant. Um, at some point, I want to talk about 
sarcoidosis and diet. Is anyone using a special diet that helps control the symptoms in any way? Uh, I think I'm aware of one cookbook that may be out there. Uh, I'm not, I don't know anything about it. I don't know who wrote it, but I've heard that there is a cookbook that exists. Has anybody tried it? Is, is there more than one? Does it work? Uh, when I've talked to my doctor about should I change my diet, uh, they've all said, nah, there's no evidence to suggest that diet makes any difference. But then I've talked to some other people on the public relations side of hospitals who kind of winked at me and said, doctors aren't the best people to talk to about diet. I, th I think because it's outside their lane. So doctors work within, you know, you've got a problem, we're going to do a procedure, we're going to give you a pill, we're going to do a test, you know, whatever. That's, that's where doctors live. And when you start talking to them about diet, uh, this this person kind of confided to me that doctors are uh, among the worst people to ask about diet and whatever your uh, illness might be. So if anybody has anything related to diet, that's uh, that's an area I'd like to examine and uh, and talk out. So please reach out to me. All right. So um, just a couple of quick personal updates. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good these days. Uh, as always, my numbness is ever present. Uh, from basically from my chest down, as it has been ever since uh, I was first diagnosed via a biopsy on my spinal cord in 2016. Uh, so, you know, I, am, I will never be the person that I was prior to uh, having my sarcoidosis diagnosis. But I can still ride my bicycle and I do have a blog called Carlin the Cyclist and I do write a lot about um, cycling with sarcoidosis. Uh, and sometimes that's just about... Um, how the various medications that I've taken and their side effects have either kept me on or off the bike. Uh, right now, I am taking Cumera once a week, giving myself a shot in my belly fat, of which there is way too much these days, uh, and then azathioprine as a backup drug to the Humira. Uh And uh, other than a lot of tiredness, I don't have a lot of side effects for once. And so I've been able to get out last night on my dinner hour uh, at the television station, which is between the 6 and the 11 o'clock news. Uh, when the weather's nice, I'll go out and I'll, I'll ride my bike. And I actually rode 24 miles last night and, and felt really good. This morning, I uh, kind of felt like I overdid it a little bit when I got up, but, but there you go. Um, and then my wife and I just bought an RV. And apparently RV sales are going through the roof during this COVID thing. Everybody trying to find a way to have fun and social distance at the same time. It seems like those two lines cross right at your RV dealer. I don't know. I bought, <laughs> and I might be sorry for it, but I bought a 1994 Mini Winnie. It's just a 21-footer, so it's about as small an RV as you can buy. But when I say RV, this is the vehicle and the camper all in one. Uh, it's a uh, Class C uh, and and I absolutely love it. I bought it from a friend. I knew it had been well cared for. Um, she had told me all the things that she and her husband and doing had been doing to it over the past three or four years that they owned it. But they bought a cabin and decided they wanted to unload it. So yeah, Mary and I bought this RV at a very reasonable price. And it just was, I don't know that I was out looking at them or anything. This was an opportunity that just kind of landed in my lap. But I had always been thinking, you know, that's something that I want to do. And I am approaching retirement age. I'm not there yet, but it's on the horizon. And I always thought, well, you know, when I retire, maybe I would 
would want to do that. And and maybe I, you know, if I did decide to travel around the country, I probably would get a newer RV. This one has 97,000 miles on it. Uh, on the other hand, it runs great. Uh, but anyway, um, this brings me to another question, and that is, do you feel like because you have sarcoidosis and your life is changing drastically, do you feel like you need to sort of check things off your bucket list before you can't do it anymore? Because that was, I don't know whether it was the ultimate rationalization, like I have to buy this RV because I may never have another chance, or is that actually true? Am I am I uh, bringing drama into my life? Well, you know, next year, who knows? I may not be able to walk because that's what doctors tell me. If I have another significant flare-up with this thing on my spinal cord, uh, there, there could be some permanent damage, and, and I may not be able to get into an RV and go around the country and see the Grand Canyon and Yosemite and uh, Texas and, you know, you name it, uh, the Florida Keys, you know, wherever, wherever it is you want to go in an RV, and, and for me, that would be everywhere. Um, but, you know, so is that the ultimate rationalization, or is that a real feeling that's a real thing, and have you felt it, have you acted on it? Uh, that's another topic that we can talk about in an upcoming podcast. So, again, reach out to me if, uh, if you can. And then I, I will just share with you also that... Um, during this COVID-19 thing, my wife works for the local SPCA. She's their financial director. And we were taking care of a puppy because they cleared the shelters. So normally you keep a, a foster puppy for two weeks. Well, because of COVID, we wound up keeping this puppy for two months. And by then he had completely stolen my heart. He's a, uh, it looks, appears to be a purebred uh, boxer. And don't know why, uh, but somebody walked in with three of these puppies and they all looked like boxers. Um, and she said, yeah, uh, I'm over it. Take these puppies, find a home for them. So we wound up with this boxer puppy and his name is Dougal. And now I've adopted him and he is mine. And But uh, uh, during the COVID-19 thing, it's it's great to be confined with a new puppy because they're so much fun. They, they really are great to play with. And I will be posting some pictures of Dougal on the Sark Fighter Facebook page for sure. I think I already have, uh, but he has just been a joy. And uh, and that goes back to the whole RV thing. Um, well, I may never get another puppy again. I may not have the energy next year, but I have the energy right now. So doggone it, I'm going to adopt this puppy. And my poor wife just rolls her eyes and says, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go along with you. Uh, but we foster tons and tons of puppies because she works at the SPCA. Eight years ago, we wound up keeping the first one that we fostered, and she is a delight, Pippa. And so she's still a part of our lives. And then all the other puppies, uh, we've sent them back, and we've found good homes for them, and that's all worked out great. And then along comes Dougal, and I just couldn't resist. So now now I have uh, another puppy. Um, and I just wonder if, uh, if any of you have had any, any similar experiences. If you want to talk about it, you want to tell me about it, you know, whatever. Maybe you just enjoy hearing about it. I don't know. All right. Uh, today I want to share with you an interview that I did with Carrie Wong. She suffers sarcoidosis way more than I do uh, in multiple parts of her body. And her path to diagnosis, unfortunately, I think, is going to sound familiar to a lot of you. So frustrating. And Carrie's interview is coming up. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. 
may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Today I am talking with Carrie, who is an advocate, as am I, for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. She is from Westchester, New York. And Carrie, welcome to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell our listeners how you first knew you had sarcoidosis. <laughs> it is such a long story. Um, but I will try and give the short version. I mean, really, it comes down to it took a long time to figure out what it was. Um, first, I started maybe 12, 13 years ago having all different kind of symptoms that uh, were bothering me, pain in different places and all of that. I had gone to the doctors to see what's going on, and basically I was told, you look fine, you must be just depressed, that's all. Um, and I spent about four years going to different doctors and being told nothing, but I looked fine, it must be in my head. Um, they didn't want to hear uh, anything else, and that was kind of all there was to it. Um, in about 2011, I developed some newer symptoms, some more physical symptoms, uh, So, or I should say more visible, um, you know, a lot of swelling, a lot of rashes, and things like that. And so I had gone to a new doctor and said, look at that, it's not in my head. And uh, at that point, they said, yes, you've definitely got some kind of arthritis. It's probably autoimmune. I don't really know anything more than that. Uh, so I went to another doctor who agreed with that but said, all right, let's figure out what kind it is. And I spent the next four years going through rotating arthritis diagnoses. Uh, they thought it was an atypical form of RA. Um, they thought it was maybe lupus. They thought it was uh, a rare autoimmune arthritis disease called Stills disease. They thought it was undifferentiated connective tissue disease, which basically... Oh, never even heard of that. <laughs> yeah, basically what that means is your disease has started but hasn't quite decided which direction it's going to go. And all that tells you is you think it's bad now, just wait. Huh. <laughs> so four years of those rotating diagnoses with all different treatments that didn't work, uh, injections, infusions, uh, all kinds of things like that, and everything continuing to get worse until finally in 2015, I think there was something in my blood work that made my doctor question something. Uh, and she didn't even tell me what it was. She just said she wanted me to get a chest x-ray. And I went for a chest x-ray, and they saw um, the bilateral hilar adenopathy uh, showed up, which meant I had something going on in there, uh, sent me to see a pulmonologist to do some tests. And he said he thought he knew what it was, but still couldn't confirm, and I needed to do a biopsy. And this is where I was really fortunate that I had a whole bunch of rashes. 
because normally, or I should say there's no such thing as normal, but typically uh, when people need that biopsy, um, they have to get it in their chest, in their, you know, from their lungs. From their lungs. But yeah. since I had stuff going on on my skin, I was able to have my dermatologist uh, do a couple of skin biopsies. And that's where it finally confirmed that um, I had uh, sarcoidosis. Wow. Wow. So where do you have sarcoidosis now today sitting here in 2020? <laughs> uh, so I have it in my lungs. I have it on my skin. I have uh, systemic arthritis, um, sarcoidosis that causes inflammation throughout my body, which uh, causes arthritis in pretty much all of my joints. Uh, fevers, chills, sweats, um, when a typical person kind of feels like they've got the flu, I get that all the time, uh, just for fun. And uh, most recently, it has uh, gone on to affect my nerves, so that I have something called small fiber neuropathy, uh, which is referred to, some call it like a type of neurosarcoidosis because it is affecting the nervous system. Um, some refer to it as a complication of um, or just another manifestation of SARS. So is that numbness or how does that, what do you feel or not feel? So that kind of does a lot of things for the most part. It's um, my feet and kind of leading up to around my knees and then my hands. A lot of times I will get, um, I get the numbness like the pins and needles. I sometimes get um, where it's really numb to the point I kind of can't feel my hands, um, like I could be holding something and not feel that I'm holding it in my hand. Um, that actually got really scary once because I was at the Walk to Cure Arthritis <laughs> in the city and um, I have a mobility scooter for longer uh, days out. Um, I walk with a cane for shorter distances, but for anything longer, I have my scooter. And um, at one point, it was kind of cold, so it always gets worse when it's cold. Um, but I was riding on my scooter, and if anybody's not familiar with those, um, it's not like a gas pedal. It's um, you're using your hands. There's a button um, on the handles for you to go, and it controls your speed um, and all of that. Hmm. And I was moving on that, and I couldn't feel my hand holding um, the buttons to to make it go or to affect the speed or anything like that. Um, and I had to kind of focus on muscle memory to try and like see how much if I feel my whole arm moving, then I know that my hand is going a little bit or uh, not. So you can't feel it. Right. At, it's, um, at its worst, I can't feel it at all. Um, I get pain. Um, I kind of get pain everywhere from all the different types of SARC or all the different areas that it affects. But um, I, I think I, I can almost deal with pain more easily um, that not feeling it. When I can't feel that my foot is on the floor and so I feel like I'm going to fall, or when I couldn't feel that I was you know, holding on um, to the handle on the scooter, that is a lot scarier to me. Yeah, just the pain. yeah. So I, I have numbness. That's because I've got it on my spinal cord. Mm. So 
I kind of understand that. Like, I don't know when my foot is tangled in the mm -hmm. chair and I stand up and, you know, I, sometimes I fall down, sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully nobody sees me because it's <laughs> embarrassing. And so I know that you're, you're dealing with that. So you've got it in your lungs. You, you feel like you have the flu many mm -hmm. days. I know that you were supposed to join us here early this morning and, and you weren't told people you weren't feeling well. Right. Was right. that kind of a typical thing that happens for it you? It does happen, unfortunately. Um, far more often than I would like it to. Uh, so I was glad at least I was able to get someone to swap uh, times with me so I didn't uh, leave you hanging. But um, yeah, I a lot of times, you know, getting up in the morning, uh, I'm just takes a lot longer. And depending on, you know, a better day or a worse day, um, it could be that because of, say, the pain in my back, I'm not able to physically get up like that, you know, getting up off of the bed can hurt, um, you know, to the point where it's my back sort of seizes up and I can't really move. Um, sometimes it's just the process of getting ready just takes so much longer than it would a typical person. Um, the fatigue that comes with it all. Uh, usually if I take a shower, I have to sit down and rest for a while afterwards because just the process of taking a shower. And that's daily. Uh, well, to be completely honest, that doesn't happen necessarily you, every day. But would you be, <laughs> by what you mean you don't take a shower every day? I don't. Because it takes too much energy. Exactly. So, uh, but, but I mean, just little things like that, that's, mm -hmm. that's anecdotal, but, you know, f what, what other people take for granted, sarcoidosis for you means... You just can't do those things. Mm -hmm. You have a caregiver. I do. Your my, husband. My husband is amazing. Um, I've known him since I was a kid, so we can say I kind of trained him. <laughs> but um, we say that a lot. But, no, he is absolutely amazing, and I don't know what I would do without him. And I don't know how anybody manages with this disease without somebody who's able to really step up and fill in anywhere and everywhere that's needed. And I mean, that comes um, physically in terms of just, you know, whether it's carrying things for me if I can't or, um, you know, holding my hand and helping me up if I can't stand up on my own um, to uh, emotionally, you know, this disease because it, it does so much and it takes so much from you and it affects literally every aspect of your life. Um, obviously that, you know, is also incredibly depressing and, um, you know, I have someone I can kind of share that burden with when all I need to do is just cry, I can cry on his shoulder. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about how you would not be able to live your life without your husband, your caregiver. And that's, uh, that's been a financial strain. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Um, so I used to work. I, I haven't been able to work for uh, about seven years now. My God, that's a long time. Um, I had to stop working in uh, 2013. And uh, it obviously, there's, you know, so that not that I worked nonprofit so it's not like I had a huge income but losing it is really a big impact uh, I'm on disability now but even that took over two years uh, to get approved and um, that's a whole other nightmare process for so many people um, and 
you know, but there's also even getting disability, it's such a small fraction of even the salary I used to make. And so, you know, my husband has been incredible just to do everything to step up to to make up for what I've lost. Um, And so, you know, in terms of financially, you know, he works as much overtime as he possibly can to try and um, it's it's partly to make up for my income, but also um, I think even more importantly, it's to make sure that we're still able to have the aspects of our life that are, um, that have always been important to us. And that's, you know, especially now when I've, so much of my life and my existence is my symptoms and my dealing with my symptoms and my doctor's appointments. Um, you know, he wants to make sure that there's more to our life than just that. And so, and for, yeah, but he's taking care of you too. He is. And so, you know, it's funny because I, you know, get to a point where I'll feel guilty that, you know, he's got to work so hard or I'll feel guilty about spending money on something that's for me. And so what kind of helps to make it okay for me is thinking about what it also does for him. And, you know, so one of the things that's most important to us and kind of always has been um, is our vacations. Um, Even when I used to work, I worked, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, we had schedules that were kind of night and day. Um, there was a point when we didn't have a day off together for months at a time. And so it was, you know, when we would take a vacation together, that was when we really had quality time. And so now I've got lots of days off, but he's always working. And so, again, it's those trips that really need, mean the we most. We need that time together. We do. And so you, you talk about it like a vacation, but... Mm-hmm. That's really just your together time. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, we like to travel. And uh, so since I've gotten sick, um, the kinds of vacations that we take uh, have had to change some or the kinds of things that we're able to do uh, have had to change. You know, I can't do the um, big, you know, trek through the rainforest uh, anymore. I can't do, you know, the climb up, you know, to see... Uh, all different kinds of, um, you know, waterfalls or um, even, you know, I remember years ago we had gone on this zip line tour and it was so much fun and I can't do that now because I can't climb so many steps to get up to where they lead off from. Uh, so we, you know, we find different kinds of things and he loves looking into and researching different places we can go and now he's always looking for the accessibility. Um, you know, we, we were in Italy a year and a half ago and, you know, so we were looking at, you know, amazingly, the Colosseum in Rome is accessible. They've got an elevator in there. Um, but huh. there are other places, yeah, you would not think, you know, the places that you think automatically would be um, accessible, like some of the buildings in Capitol Hill where I go to do advocacy, um, there are places in there where I have a harder time getting around than um, even in, you know, historic sites like that. Um, you know, so, so we make sure that we still have quality time together. And that, you know, we find ways, you know, our trips now have to include, you know, they have to be long enough to include some downtime in between the days that we're going out and sightseeing. Because even if I'm not walking, uh, I'm on my scooter as we're going, you know, further around. 
it's still a big day, it's an excursion, it takes a lot out of me. And, you know, so we can't do an up early to late night kind of thing. Um, we've got to have, you know, space everything out and make sure there's time to just kind of relax, unwind, and, you know, not completely overdo it. Sure, sure. We'll be right back with more of the Sark Fighter podcast. We're listening to Carrie tell her story, and we'll have more in just a minute. The foundation for sarcoidosis research is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to finding the cure for this disease and to improving care for sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Since its establishment in 2000, FSR has fostered over $5 million in sarcoidosis-specific research efforts and has provided disease education and support for thousands of individuals navigating life with sarcoidosis. Learn more about FSR and how they're supporting those impacted by this disease at www.stopsarcoidosis.org. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Carrie is telling us her story. Uh, so Carrie, you were, um, we, we talked a little bit about how sarcoidosis impacted you and how it kind of moved through your body in a, in a terrible way. We've, uh, we've talked about how your husband is an amazing caregiver and you're not able to work anymore. And um, you, were, uh, you were just telling me, though, you're part of the, the advocacy group here for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And we're recording this in, in February of 2020 in Washington, D.C., where all the advocates are here together. This is, I'm just learning about this whole advocacy role. Uh, very interested in working on it. But you've got some events coming up that you'd like to tell people about. I do, yes. I'm very, very excited. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest issues with people for people who have sarcoidosis is that feeling of being alone. Because it's such a rare disease, nobody talks about it. And because nobody talks about it, nobody knows that there's anybody else around. And so I've really wanted to um, do everything I can to help people realize that, you know, no one is in this alone. Just if you could share for a moment how you have coped with sarcoidosis essentially creeping in and stealing your life. That's such a great way to put it, really, um, because that is what it does. And I would say the, the, there's two things, really, that have really helped me to deal with that loss, that change, that just utter devastation, really. Um, one of them is... Um, connecting with other people, being able to, you know, whether that's my husband and my mom, who are just, you know, the two most incredible, wonderful people in my life, um, and knowing that I have them, but also connecting with other people with sarcoidosis, um, and knowing that, you know, we're in this together, really makes such an incredible difference. And then the other thing for me is getting as active as I have, um, and I don't mean physically active because as much as I wish I could, that's just not really a reality right now. But um, I've become as active as I could with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research with, um, you know, organizing and planning and advocating um, and working to support, to fundraise, to um, do all different things so that my energy is focused on being able to help other people through it. So I know how bad it's been for me, and if I can make the journey, the process, the 
life a little bit better, a little bit easier for somebody else who's going through it, that just really makes the whole thing worthwhile for me. So that's that's where you find your strength. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks again to Carrie for sharing her sarcoidosis story. Uh, that's what this podcast is all about, sharing stories so we know we're not the only ones suffering all alone with no one who understands. There's a lot of people out there, and the more we talk about it, the more we share these stories, the more people are going to hear about it, and the more people will become familiar with sarcoidosis. I, I have to say it feels like the sarcoidosis voice is being drowned, drowned out by the immediate concerns with COVID-19, and that's you know probably uh, that's probably for the best because that is an immediate and urgent concern. But my sense is is that sarcoidosis will be here long after COVID-19 stops grabbing all the headlines and everybody gets back to living some semblance of a normal life and we'll still have a medical community with sarcoidosis patients and we'll still have researchers who are looking for a way to find a cure and we'll still have fundraisers and public relations people who are trying to keep sarcoidosis in front of the general public and in front of the pharmaceutical companies so we can all keep moving forward. So let's just uh, let's stop and uh, give our thoughts and prayers to everybody who's suffering because of the COVID-19 crisis. But remember that uh, sarcoidosis, unfortunately, until someone finds a cure, is here to stay and we've still got a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening. Till next time, keep fighting. <laughs>